At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, good morning, everybody. It is awesome to be with you. I, uh, I've been at Woodside now for not quite a year, and we always hear about these other campuses, and I finally get to come and visit one of our campuses, and it's so fabulous to see uh, the people of God gathering here in Chesterfield. So it is, it is great to be with you. I've got my daughter Haley with me here this morning. I had a new experience. Uh, I had a chauffeur to church this morning. So she is, she's learning how to drive. And uh, she said, can I drive? I was like, sure. You know, I feel like somebody important who always has a driver going to an event. <laughs> Not really, but she did a great job. Uh, well, it is a privilege to be with you this morning. It's, it's, it's always humbling to get to preach the Word of God. And if anybody is honest with you, their posture should be that nobody is worthy to do this, except by the grace of God, who calls us to preach the Word day in and day out. I also do want to bring to you greetings from Pastor Chris. He specifically called me and and wanted to extend a hello to you, and uh, also Don Chapman, our chairman of the elders, and of course Abe, you know Abe, and uh, they are praying for you as are um, all of Woodside. And so you're in great leadership, and it's a joy to be with you. But enough with the pleasantries. Uh, let's dig into what we're supposed to be doing here today, which is studying the Word of God. I'm going to walk you through where we're going to be, and in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's Word together, because I believe something special happens when we honor God's Word the way that we should. But here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read the text, then we're going to talk about this big idea where the law fails, Christ prevails. And we're going to answer two primary questions. Is the law sinful, and is the law death? Now, this is very important because as we begin to study this, you're going to understand and you're going to begin to answer the question, why is it that we as Christians still struggle with sin? And so we're going to learn a lot about our own nature, even our nature in Christ, and we're also going to learn about the power of sin and how law plays into that. And why is it that we still struggle if we are made new in Christ? So let's pray. And then we're going to stand up and read God's word together. Father, to you be the glory. And I come before you just praying for your mercies and for your grace upon this time. We pray for the souls that are represented in this room and those who are with us online. Uh, we would be naive to think that there is not at least one person here whose soul has not been saved from, from death and hell to life in Jesus Christ. And so we pray for a time this morning where through the preaching of the word, through the power of your word that transforms us, that we would be a people who are changed by it, and that even there would be souls that are saved because of your work in their lives. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, please stand. I believe we've got the words on the screen, and uh, I'll read, and you can follow along with me and, and just take the words of God into your soul. 
And then in the last slide, I'll cue you, and I would love for us all to read it together. Now, I do want to, I understand you have different preachers coming in here, but you're trying to learn different personalities. So I will cue you. And one of the things I love, just as beautiful as you were singing, I want you even more so to read God's word out loud. But let's begin in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want... I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of death? And here you go. I want you to read this like you believe it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. May God bless the reading of his word and you can be seated. As I mentioned, we're going to answer two main questions here. Is the law sinful. And just to illustrate this, I want you to see this picture that uh, should be up here. And I want to ask you what kind of thoughts are prompted by this picture. So I'm driving here today and, and I'm heading east and we're seeing all sorts of speed limit signs. And as I see a sign that looks something like this, especially if I'm going, let's say, 55 miles an hour, what do I begin to think? Now, if I'm, if I'm good, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, I should slow down. 
But how many of us, even this morning being late to church, thought, oh, (laughs) practically speaking, we thought that's just a suggestion. And in fact, if our sinful heart was beginning to stir within our souls and we're running late for church and we see a sign like this, what happens? And we look around and we see there are no workers here. Why are they even doing this work? Construction is stupid. Why is there all this construction? And we begin to think that this is not just a suggestion, but this is a bad suggestion. And it's a bad law, right? So that's, that's what's going on. Maybe you're better than I am and you're just going 48 miles an hour. But then it gets worse because this happens. You pass the officer. And now what happens every time we pass the officer? And quite frankly, this happens because why? We are breaking the law. What do we do? There's this chorus of taillights after the officer. And we slow down. And then maybe we begin to justify our speeding because we're just going with the flow of traffic. Well, I've tried this argument before and it didn't work very well. Because this happens next. There's the officer. And we love the police officers, right, when they catch the other people speeding. Because we sit there and we say in our hearts, they were breaking the law, even though maybe we were breaking the law. They're the ones that got caught. And then we go and we tell our new drivers in our household, don't break the law. And then we're driving along and they say, dad, you're speeding a little bit. It's okay. I'm just going with the flow of traffic. And then if I'm really snarky, he can only catch one person. (laughs) Well, then what happens I saw this t-shirt and I thought it was very good in light of what we're talking about today. This is the next picture. (laughs) Officer, I saw the speed limit. I just didn't see you. So what do we do? We have in our own hearts taken a law that was designed to be good, right? Right? And we have taken this law that was designed to be good, and we have turned it into something bad. And so this happens all the time, right? And we begin to think from the different perspectives, though, right? Those who are caught are frustrated, and perhaps they're frustrated at the law instead of recognizing their own sin. But then there are those who are prideful, those who didn't get caught. And I want to remind you, in light of you who maybe are thankful you didn't get caught, and because you didn't get caught, you didn't break the law. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of it all. But then there are those who are thankful, right? There are those whose safety is being preserved, And they're thankful for the law. You see, I I don't like the speed limit when I'm trying to get to church on time. But I love the speed limit when there are people who drive too fast through my neighborhood and there are kids who are trying to play. But you see, we can't have it both ways. You see, we take what was actually good and what it does, especially we begin to think, well, there was no speed limit signed before. But the speed limit reveals our breaking of the law. It reveals the sin that we are committing. 
And so Paul is doing this, and he's answering two very important questions because he's just coming off of 7, 1 through 6, in which he talks about the reality of the law, right? He says in verse 1, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And then what he does, he draws this beautiful conclusion in verse 6, But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul is in this beautiful, beautiful summary of helping the Christian understand the balance of the law and the role of the law and the role of the spirit working in our life, right? If we're being good Christians, we don't want to just say, you know what, I don't kill, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't covet, I don't lie, right? I have no other gods, I'm not having idols in my home, we're not doing all these things. But instead, one of the great markers of the Christian life is, are you exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? And so Paul is helping us understand this. There is the goodness of the law, but there is the better way of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have our first question. Is the law sinful? What I love about Paul is he doesn't leave us hanging. There's not a lot of tension here, right? Because in verse 7, he goes right away and says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. By no means is the law sinful. Now what Paul goes on to do is he uses the example perhaps in his own life of coveting, right? This is what he says, For I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. So you can imagine perhaps little Paul going to Jewish school and he would have been learning the things of the law. And perhaps it was something as simple as this. Well, that kid is wearing better shoes than I am. And then there was a lesson that day on coveting and he begins to realize my desire to have something better than what God has provided me is coveting. And so now he's made aware that what he is doing is actually sinful. Now, of course, when we're talking the law, and I already referred to this, on, on, a, on a meta scale, we have the Ten Commandments, right? And so we have no other gods before me, no idols, not using the Lord's name in vain. We have remembered the Sabbath and keeping it holy, honoring your father and your mother, not committing murder, not committing adultery, not stealing, not bearing false witness, and not coveting. And so Paul is using this example here in his own life of coveting. But then he says in verse 8, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. And so this is so interesting, isn't it? Paul is sitting here saying, what I wanted that was apart from perhaps what God had provided, I'm now learning is coveting. And now Paul goes throughout the school that day, for instance. And he goes home and he's seeing all these things. And he's seeing the kid who has perhaps the strongest horse, and he's seeing the kid who has the better lunch, and he's seeing the kid who's wearing the better clothes, and he goes home on his way to his house, and he sees the bigger house, and he sees a more luxurious place, and he hears what's 
happening at his neighbor's house for dinner. And that neighbor's food is better than what his mom is providing. And so now he's all of a sudden realizing what was just, he thought, simply a desire is now sin. And now that he knows it's coveting, he's realizing I'm sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning. So this is what happens in the Christian life. Notice what Paul is getting at. He says sin uses the law to increase sin. And this is exactly what is happening with the enemy and the spiritual warfare that is going on within our soul, right? The devil just sits there and he says, don't you wish you had a better car? Don't you wish you had a better house? Don't you wish you had a a spouse that was better? Don't you wish you had children that were better? Don't you wish, don't you wish, don't you wish? And you begin to desire this and sin is continuing to brew and its aroma is infecting all of your soul. Think of it this way. Sin uses the law to increase sin. Let's have a little test here, okay? I'm going to give you a law, and I want you to not break the law. You ready? Do not, here's the law, do not think of a red fire truck. Raise your hand if you just thought of a red fire truck, right? Every single one of you, unless you are amazingly mentally capable, thought of a red fire truck. You see, this is what happens We begin to see things, and we begin to experience things. And then we begin to read the Bible, and we're told those thoughts, those actions, those experiences are actually sinful. Think of it another way. The classic book written by John Bunyan, A Pilgrim's Progress, uses the example of a large dust-covered room in the interpreter's house, which symbolizes the human heart. And when a man with a broom representing God's law comes in and begins to sweep, what happens? The dust begins to swirl up, and this begins to suffocate the Christian. You see, this is what happens in our own lives. There is sin, and what the law does, it begins to stir up that sin, and it begins to suffocate the Christian. It becomes so agitating that it becomes stifling. You see, just as the broom could not have gotten rid of the dust but only stir it up, so the law cannot cleanse a heart but only make it more evident and unpleasant. Well, Paul moves on to verse Verses 9 through 11, and notice what he says here. He says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What he's simply saying here is, before we are made aware of our sin, we think life is good. Life is good. It's not that big of a deal that I, that I lie. After all, I'm just trying to watch out for myself. I'm just trying to make myself look better for the boss. I'm just trying to position myself for success. And a little white lie won't do any harm, right? It won't matter. But what Paul says, he thought everything was good. But then the commandment came and sin came alive and I died. What Paul is doing here is he's showing the position of sin and the position of the law. And the law is making him aware of how great his sin is. 
And what the law has done is it's showed him instead of being alive apart from the law, he is dead because of sin. He is spiritually, spiritually dead. His soul is destined for separation from God. His soul is destined for hell and he needs desperately an answer. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Now, Paul draws his conclusion here in verse 12. And here's what he says. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, this is an amazing revelation in and of itself, because what would our natural tendency be? The rule is bad, right? Let's go back to the speed limit sign. The natural tendency is to think the rule is bad. The speed limit is inconvenient. This construction is stupid. Whoever made the law wasn't thinking. They've not driven this road and they've not had to be where I need to be. This is what's going on in our soul by its sinful nature. But Paul is a regenerate man. He has come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He has repented of his sins. He has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has demonstrated that through baptism. And so he can come to the conclusion with the power of the Holy Spirit inspiring his writing. So the law is holy, right? It is set apart in a good way. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Well, he answers the first question. But what about the second question? Is the law death? Is the law death? Well, it begins in verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. Right? He's drawing back into this tendency for us to think that the law is bad and that the law is leading to our death. That the Ten Commandments would be leading to our death. That the law that was given in Numbers and Deuteronomy, or Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, is, is bad, and that's what causes death. And as you begin to read the Scriptures, especially the Pentateuch there, you understand the law was a promise to bring life. In fact, God even says, if you obey these things, it will go well for you. But that's not what our hearts trend towards, right? Our hearts trend towards thinking that the law is bad. You know, I remember when I was in college, and here I was, uh, a growing Christian, and I had sensed God was calling me into vocational ministry, and so there I was uh, doing my academic studies in another area apart from ministry, but I was very active in some Christian ministries there on campus. And as such, I knew I should be involved in a church, but I still loved my home church. And so here I was going to my Sunday school class at church, and, and I wanted to teach. But the church had a policy. You had to be a member of the church in order to teach. And I wasn't a member of the church. And so what did I naturally think? Well, the church is losing out. I mean, after all, I'm a good and capable teacher. That's a stupid rule. That's a dumb rule. Why do I have to become a member of the church when I'm a member of a sister church over an hour away? I mean, can't they just recognize that and, and let me teach? 
You see, that's what happens. You see, looking back on it, though, the really bad thing was not the rule to only let members teach. The really poor and sinful thing was the pride that was in my heart to think that they were wrong. Well, Paul is getting at this, right? He says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul is continuing to say, look, the law is not bad. The law does not bring about death. What the law actually does is it reveals sin. It reveals our depravity. It reveals the depths of the lostness of our souls. And what the commandments actually do is it shows us that if we do these things, that is what is actually good. But then he he comes to the next question. If we come to the point where we realize that what God tells us to do is good, why do we still do the things that are bad? And that is a question that begs every Christian who can look back and they say, I have a time where I repented of my sin. I have a time where I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. My profession was made public through baptism in front of the church, but yet I still struggle with sin. I read the word of God. I pray. I fast. I'm involved in my church. I even preach the word of God. Why do I still sin? Paul explains it in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He's getting into the power of sin and its residual effects with the flesh. Sin, remember, sin is thinking any time in acting upon what God says is good and doing the opposite. Back to Paul's example of coveting and what we all struggle with. It is that longing for and that pursuit of something apart from which God has provided for us and said, this is good and this is good enough for you. Well, no, it's not God. That's what Adam did in Genesis chapter 3. And so the power of sin is there. And we can even go to what a powerful passage in Genesis chapter 4. And listen to how God, in speaking to Cain after he sinned. And keep in mind, he hasn't murdered his brother yet. But God says this to Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must Rule over it. Well, Paul goes on and he's talking about this. And notice the tense has changed. He's gone from a we to an I. He's gone from a past to a present. And he says, even in verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer me who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul is recognizing that in his own life, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The man who prior to his coming to Christ was becoming a Pharisee among Pharisees. A PhD in Judaism. And now he understands the law perhaps like no one else. And he's understanding this as he's speaking to his audience. And he's letting them know, look, even as trained as I am, I look at my training and all it did for me was actually show me how sinful I am. And why do I still struggle with things even as a Christian, even as writing this letter to to believers who are in Rome? Why am I still struggling this way? Why are you still struggling this way? Because we have our sinful flesh. In my mind, at least, one of the best ways that I thought of illustrating this and the fact that we keep on sinning and we have this desire to do good, but we have this ability. One commentator said the flesh serves as a base camp from which sin operates in the Christian life. But then I was digging up and doing a little bit of research and I found a, uh, an article in which an author named Keith Lowe was, was interviewed. And the title of his book is Savage Continent, Europe in the Aftermath of World War II. And the question comes to to Keith about how many people were killed after May of 1945 when Germany had officially surrendered to the Allies. And he goes on to just summarize what he said. He believes and he acknowledges the records are very hard and they're not very good because people were more concerned with rebuilding and, and, and coming back to life, so to say, than they were of counting the number of people that were dying. But because of sickness, because of famine, because of civil war, because of continued ethnic violence, he estimates that in excess of two million people died after May of 1945 in the continent of Europe in the aftermath of World War II. But sometimes we look at that and we say, but wait, the war was won. The war was won. But the battles continued. And so in our own souls, what is happening, if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the battle has been won. The war has been won. The war has been won. But the battle between sin and the flesh continues. In verse 20, Paul is basically summarizing the sin within me is what causes me to sin. And the result of the tension leads to the conclusion that Paul says, what a wretched man am I. And so here he is presenting himself as a Christian, as an apostle, writing a letter to the church and the Christians at Rome, writing a letter which will be preserved for the church to read for all of ages. And yet he acknowledges this great theologian, this great Christian, this great missionary, this great church planner. What a wretched man am I? And what a wretched man am I? And what a wretched man are you? One commentator noted that the way in which men perceive themselves to be sinners is in direct proportion that they have discovered the holiness of God and his law. So the more we recognize what we have been saved from, the more we recognize the holiness of God and what he has actually done for us, the more we recognize 
the sin in our lives. Well, this is where the scriptures go from beautiful to absolutely amazing. Because he concludes it this way, and this is our big idea, where the law fails, Christ prevails. So what does he go on to say? He acknowledges in verse 20, but sin that dwells within me, right? This is this powerful force which seeks to oppose the things of God. It still has its residual effects in us. It's still battling within us, even though the war has already been won. He says in verse 21, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, acknowledging just the temptations that existed in his own life. And for us, acknowledging the temptations that exist in our own lives. But then he goes on. After verse 24, what a wretched man am I? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers it, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And you will desperately need to come back next week because chapter 8 is extremely vital to understanding part of chapter 7. But here's where it leads us. Two practical, easy conclusions. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, praise God that Christ has set you free from sin. Praise God. And as you fall more in love with God, as you read his word more, as you pray more, as you carry out spiritual habits more, like we studied over the summer, as you do these things more, I want to warn you that you will become more aware of your sin. But as you become more aware of your sin, your praise should increase because as you're more aware of your sin and your shortcomings before, an almighty, holy God who has created the heavens and the earth, created you in his image, sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And you understand the practical implications of being a sinner. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. As you begin to understand these things and embrace these things more, the appreciation of your salvation grows immensely. And as your appreciation for the Holy God and your love for the Holy God grows, your disgust for sin grows. And you are sanctified in Christ Jesus our Lord. The other side of this, though, is if you are not a Christian. If you are not a Christian, what this does for you, and Paul understands this as he communicates it happened to him before he became a Christian, you are not as good as you think you are. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. But the beauty is that God in his mercy is making it known to you, turn to Jesus. You have been made aware that you are not good. And every person who confesses Christ understands they are not good. I am not good. But here's the eternal difference. You do not follow Jesus and I do. You do not follow the ways and the love of God, but every member of this church does. And so our plea to you is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus and stop thinking of yourself as being good and realize that you can only be counted good if you put your faith in Jesus. And so that is our prayer. Is the law sinful? Absolutely not. Is the law death? No. Instead, the law reveals our sin and it shows us how great it is 
that Jesus has saved us. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.